Hello and welcome to the University Guy podcast with me, David Hawkins. Now, in the world of college counselling, it's a hugely powerful community and I'm very fortunate enough to spend time at various conferences and forums chatting to people and learning from people and, and being inspired actually about the way we can do this work. And I've been very fortunate over the last few years to be able to get to know one particular college counsellor who's risen to the very heights of, of our profession and whose, whose outlook on the work with students and whose care for the students she works with truly is inspirational. Uh, this college counsellor announced uh, to the college counsellor community that she would be retiring from our profession in 2020, a, a huge loss. And I'm very fortunate enough to have been able to spend half an hour or so earlier this evening having a chat with her, finding out about her views on college counselling, the importance of the profession, the role of organisations within that profession, and more importantly, just to be inspired again by her, her passion for the work that we do and how important it is to place students at the centre of it. So here is uh, my time with the wonderful, inspiring um, hero of college counselling, Nancy Bean. On the line now, all the way from Georgia in the United States, is, I, I will confess, to one of my favourite people in, in college counselling, someone who I met a, a few years ago in London and has, has become someone I've looked up to and, and had some really wonderful conversations with. Um, so, Nancy Bean, thank you so much for giving up your time. Thank you, David, for calling me. I appreciate it. As you can tell, I do have one of those accents uh, that a lot of older people in the south of the United States have. But uh, you also are one of my favorite people, and I enjoy the exchanges whenever we get a chance to be together or talk in a forum such as this. You're very kind. So, so Nancy, just for our, our listeners, you know, what is your job title and what is the school that you work at? I am an Associate Director of College Counseling at the Westminster Schools in Atlanta, Georgia. When I first started counseling, we only had two counselors. We didn't have a director. Uh, we were both just college counselor, and since then we've grown to five counselors. We do have a director, Steve Frappier, and then there are four of us who are associate directors. Fantastic. And the reason we're having this chat is you, you have made the decision that um, you're going to be stepping away from, from the high school counseling scene, so this is sort of a, my opportunity to have a chat with you and get you on the record before you, you, you know, reduce your role in our world. Well, thank you. I uh, have done this for 27 years, and I've taught for 45 years. And so um, I, if you count my student teaching, I've taught every grade level but eight in the United States. And uh, the last few years, uh, these 27 years, have been wonderful. I've enjoyed every one of them. Uh, there are lots of challenges, but I've enjoyed working with the students. And uh, while I will miss the students and will miss the counseling, it's definitely time from an age and stage standpoint. I'm ready to do more traveling and to uh, be able to do more with my husband, who retired three years ago. Perfect. So, so let's sort of you know, delve back into that. And uh, you know, I do a lot of these interviews, as you know, and I'm always fascinated by how people fall into this work in, in the same way as I have done. So how did you become a college counsellor? Well, that's really interesting. Uh, when I became a college counsellor here, there had not been very many before me. They had long tenures, and all of them had been English teachers. And so the principal of the upper school at the time called me in and said, what do you think about being a college counselor? And I looked at him and I said, I don't have any interest in that. I don't know anything about it. So I went home and talked to my husband that night. And he said, well, you love working with students. You love doing student government and other activities like that. And you are passionate about 
the work you do, and so why don't you tell him, yes, you would be interested. So I went back the next day and told him, and he said, well, that's too bad. The president of the school has moved on, <laughs> and if you want to throw your hat in the ring, you can. So they hung me out to dry for about three months, interviewed a lot of different people, and finally decided they would choose me, I think primarily because I had – one of the things I've done my whole career is to get really involved with the students and their um, – activities in class, but also their activities out of class. And so I knew a lot of my students and their families really well. So I think that's why I got hired for this job. And I, I do think that's one of the most important things is to make sure that as a counselor, your families know that you deeply care for their children. You don't have any power, nor should you, to have them get into certain schools, but you are there to work with them as they uh, navigate this process of college applications, and uh, so that was the way I got involved. I think, and so, I, by so the way, people... was not an English. Yeah, by the way, I was not an English teacher. I was a history teacher, which had never happened before. But luckily, there was a man named Leon Scott who was my co-counselor, and he was absolutely wonderful and taught me everything I knew, took me under his wing, and that helped a lot. Yeah, all right. This is why we get on, Nancy. Shared love of being historians. So, so there we go. So um, yeah. for uh, for people who uh, maybe listen to the podcast who who aren't in in this sort of professional world of college counselling and, and so, yeah, I having made that move and done a number of years working as a college counsellor, understand that. But to you know, if someone landed from a different different planet and had and you said I'm a college counsellor, actually to break that down to someone who has no understanding, Nancy, you know, what actually is your job? What do you do sort of day in day out as a college counsellor in the states? Well, I no longer teach. For 27 of the 30 years I've been here, I did uh, teach. And uh, about three years ago, having done the college counseling for 27 of those 30 years, uh, we decided I was uh, being looked at for NACAC uh, president-elect, the National Association for College Admission Counseling. And so I realized I could not do a good job teaching and take on the possibility of that. And so I requested to be relieved of the teaching duties, as did all the others in the office. And now I think some of them wish they were teaching. But my day-to-day -day work is such that we work primarily with the juniors and the seniors, the third and fourth year students here at the high school. And um, we do some work with the ninth and tenth graders, uh, some town hall meetings with their parents. Uh, Steve Frappier, our director, goes down and talks with the students at those levels. But for the most part, other than some work with recruited athletes, we don't start the formal process until their junior year. We meet with the students first individually. We unfortunately don't have a lot of group meetings with them. I know in some public schools and in some independent schools, they have a designated time each week that they get together with their whole group of students. We've never had that. So individually, we meet with our juniors and for about a half an hour meeting in the fall, and we get them to fill out a form for us before we have that meeting so that we understand a little bit more about them. We do use Naviance in our school, or Naviance as the people say who, who run the program, and that has helped us to gather a lot of information. And so the students fill out this information for us. We interview them for about 30 minutes, and then um, we don't get together with them and their parents until uh, the middle of uh, the winter, so from uh, February 
on through March, we work with the juniors and their parents and having individual meetings with them. And then we have a third meeting with the students before they graduate. Once we've done those things, and we also get the student to do an autobiography for us and the parents have a questionnaire they have to do, then we begin, we've got a lot of information we can use. And we also have, uh, we go to a lot of the sports events and the fine arts events and any other event that's on this campus we're pretty much uh, attending so that we can get to know the students outside of class as well as inside of class. And all those things put together help us to write a letter that differentiates the students from others. And that helps. And then finally, throughout the senior year, we meet with them frequently. Um, usually their parents don't come back in for those meetings, but sometimes they do. And we have uh, different forums for the parents also. We have a dean's night in January. We have meetings um, town hall meetings, that kind of thing. So there's plenty of opportunity for both the students and the parents to work with us every day if they need to do that. And that's pretty much the way I spend my days. Wow. And just for, for clarity's sake, and, and again, for people who may be new to this this world, how many of those students then are you working with? What What is your caseload? In well, it's funny. When I when there were only two of us, I had about 100 girls uh, who were seniors and about 100 girls who were juniors, so 200. Now, because we have so many more counselors, I work with about 45 seniors and about 45 juniors. And so that gives us even more time to get to know them well. Uh, our setup, we have a wonderful new facility, and each of us has our own office. Uh, before this, I was stuffed into a little bitty room that was ridiculous. I couldn't even get the door closed with everybody in it until everybody was already in their seat. And so I um, went to um, – hang on just one minute. Let me get this telephone off. Um, so now we have a wonderful facility that has an outer room where students can come in and they can work on applications or they can study or they can do whatever. So uh, we do have good opportunities to get together with them a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such the important way of doing it. And, and yeah, I think sometimes when I'm trying to explain to a family, you know, why might you want to use an independent college counselor? One of the things I try to say is, well, if you were at a, at a equivalent school in the United States, you would get this. I think it's really hard mm -hmm. sometimes for families to, who aren't in that world to just see, as you've just described, the importance of getting to know this this young person through their journey. You say to see them yeah. in, in a musical or, or on the basketball court or at the swim meet, doing these kind of things. So it's, right. it's, it's really wonderful to hear that you are able to, to do that and to, to really support these students as, through a, a really challenging time of their life. Yeah, and we try hard to do that. And we do have good independent counselors here, and some of our students will work with them. The one thing we – there's several things in regards to that. First of all, we if a student works with an independent counselor, we'd like to know it so that yeah. we can forge some kind of partnership with them. Uh, what we tell them is, you know, if your schedule is such that you honestly are going all day long and you really can't see us – I don't know why they can't, but if they can't – or you need so much help that you need – much more help than we can give. I'm not sure why. Again, there are some people that feel the need to do that. It's a little bit, I equate it to going to a doctor here in the States and, and you feel like you need a second opinion. And so you go to somebody else for that second opinion. The The downside to it is that the, the independent counselor really cannot 
do much with the particular college. We have to send the transcripts. We have to send the letters of recommendation, and so it makes it hard. We have a writing lab here for our students to go to to get help with their writing. We have a math lab here, and in the math lab, the, our person who runs that can get the actual test from the teacher and the independent counselor really can't do that. So there's just a lot about it that if we, if a student's going to have an independent counselor, we really need to be in touch with each other so that they understand our culture and we understand the kind of work they're doing to help the student. And it can be a very positive um, program. I am going to do at the Southern Association for College Admission Counseling, SACAC, I'm doing a session with some other people about independent counselors and, and the work we do together. And we have an independent counselor who's helping us to present that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I agree that, you know, see, my context is slightly different in that typically I'm working with students who, who don't have any counseling for international applications. So, yeah. it's, but it's nice to yeah. hear, hear you say that. I, I agree 100% that working in tandem when, you know, with the young person's interest at the center here is, is the crucial thing. So, um, Absolutely. You've touched on a few things there, Nancy, but I am really interested um, just to for ask you to reflect back that in the in the 27 years you said you've been college counselling, what has changed? A lot. <laughs> um, you know, so much has changed. When I first, literally in 1992, my first set of young women, I, uh, in looking at Harvard, I happen to remember this. Harvard had 12,000 applications. I thought that was a lot. Now Harvard has 40,000 for this or more for the same number of spots that they had in 1992. Um, so what we've seen is that it has gotten much more competitive in terms of people being admitted to certain schools. Um, our families tend to think that there are only a few schools that will be appropriate for their students. And that's not true of everybody, but we will get what I laugh, and, and I'm not being uh, cavalier about this, but I laugh and call them the um, the the same, what, what is there, it's a term that I use for them, the, um, I, I've just lost it, but, um, you know, they, they, call, they use the same schools over and over. And so um, when they do that, it worries me because they're limiting themselves. They're not opening up to the possibility of some schools that are phenomenal out there. Yeah. And there are a lot of possible schools for them. So that's one change that we've seen. Things have, A, gotten more competitive. Students have become more splintered, I think, in their um, – day-to-day -day lives. Uh, when my daughter graduated from Westminster in 1997, there was only one young woman on her volleyball team who played volleyball outside of school. Now most of our volleyball uh, team students play outside of school. So sometimes they're not getting home till 9.30 or 10 at night, and then they've got a long night of homework to do. So I'm seeing that the students are more splintered in terms of their activities. They're involved in far more. They're taking more um, difficult courses in the states of the AP courses yeah. uh, because they think that makes them more competitive in the world of college admission. And I'm not sure that's true. What we're seeing is the students who have formed sort of a, um, a profile for the areas that they're really interested in. In other words, they've maybe done some internships or some uh, shadowing, uh, some research, literally research with professors mm -hmm. on the college level. Those are things that our students are doing now that they were not doing uh, 27 years ago. 
27 years ago, if you were the president of the student body or you had some other what they called hook, it might be an athletic hook, it might be um, a hook in some particular area, you were in if you had the academic credentials. Now, with far more students applying, we are seeing that those hooks are not the same hooks that we used to have. So some of my most interesting students are ones who have done very different things. I actually have a young man this year who has started several businesses. That's created some trouble for him because he doesn't always keep up with his work. But he's in the middle of the night. He's having phone uh, conversations with people who are in Great Britain or who are in other parts of the world who are working for him in his businesses. And he has been fascinating to a lot of the um, different colleges because yeah. of his, you may call it quirkiness, you may call it his expertise, whatever. Yeah, no, I agree. So I think sometimes it's um, actually braver to go off the beaten track a little bit, isn't it? The student who mm-hmm. looks for, mm-hmm. who doesn't follow the herd and to, I, don't know, mm-hmm. I think I understand, you know, particularly, there, there is safety in a badge. You know, when you are yeah. looking at thousands and thousands of colleges in the United States, it's, it can be disorienting and parents are, are not clued into this process, so they hang on to yeah. what they perceive to be a sense of where they can get a handle on it. Um, and obviously that yeah, and can go slightly out, out of the way, but that does put inordinate pressure on students to try and conform to what they are, have been sort of brought up to think is success, whereas the reality is success depends entirely on the student, not on what someone else is saying. Absolutely. And the word I was words I was looking for a few minutes ago were the, what I call the usual suspects. And I'm not go. maligning yeah. the students and their parents when they do that, but they'll come in with a list of schools, yeah. and it's pretty much the same schools. So I guess um, one thing that hasn't changed is they're still focused on certain schools. Yeah. One thing I wish would change is that all of us as parents and students would be more open to possibilities for our schools that can meet our needs and, and do that kind of thing. Um, I think the other thing that has changed a lot is that there seems to be, well, first, first of all, cost. Mm-hmm. The cost has escalated tremendously in the United States, and um, I, that worries me. Uh, part of it is facilities. Part of it is technology. Part of it is um, just um, the cost of travel, everything has gone up so much that we are seeing schools now, private colleges that are costing seventy, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000. And it wasn't nearly that when I started uh, back 27 years ago. And, and salaries certainly haven't gone up that much more. So that's that's been another huge change that right. we've seen. I mean, it's interesting, you, you touched on it earlier when you were talking about the changes in your role. Um, and, the, and actually how I came to meet you was, as you, as you were mentioning, your role in, in, in NACAC. Um, and you then did step into the kind of the leadership of our profession and, and enabled to effect some, some policy changes and to, to represent mm-hmm. us all in, in those kind of forums. Um, so, you know, how important is NACAC and, and, and your role within that organization um, you know, for someone who maybe is, is new to that world? What was that all about? Well, NACAC is a fascinating organization to me. There are um, around 15,000 members in the organization, and they are all over the world, literally. There are 23 different affiliates of NACAC. They're not chapters, so they're not under us, but they do have to comply with certain uh, areas, including 
a um, principles of good practice, which we've renamed now, and um, we've revised a little bit. But the bottom line is, in 1937, when NACAC was started, they felt that there needed to be some commonalities among the colleges about when they would accept students and when students would reply to them saying they were coming and so forth, some protections that would be afforded to students uh, as well as responsibilities that they had. And so that has been one of the primary focuses of the organization since then is to make sure that we are being as fair as we can be in terms of the work that we do together and that students know what they have to do in order to be considered for admission and that there's as level a playing field as there can be. There's never really been a level playing field and probably never will be, but what's important is for us to have an organization that works collaboratively together, one where we can have serious discussions about issues that are out there and where we can try to understand the needs of our students and how to meet the needs. And as you can imagine, I'm sure you have the very same thing there in Great Britain, is that you have a lot of different kinds of students from socioeconomic standpoint, from racial and ethnic standpoints, from uh, gender identity, from uh, sexual identity, and so forth. So I think we see much more now than we did maybe 27 years ago in terms of trying to understand our students. Uh, in our own school, there's been much more focus on learning issues and some of the different um, needs that students have in that regard, whereas 27 years ago it was pretty much here it is. You take it, you do it, and if you can't do it, then you leave. Mm. And so I think there's been much growth in understanding the students. So NACAC uh, tries to bring all of those disparate groups together, I think, both geographic groups but also different kinds of schools. We have college admissions people in our organization. We have school counselors in our organization. We have college counselors in our organization whose school counselors in this country have sometimes as many as 650, 1,000 students individually on their docket, whereas I've got a total of about 100 for two different grade levels. They also are responsible for all sorts of other uh, activities than just college, and so it's a huge uh, difference in terms of the work we do. So we try to bring everybody together. We do have yearly conferences for NACAC that a lot of people come to, and then the affiliates all have uh, yearly conferences too, and I was very fortunate when I was president-elect and then president and then past president of NACAC to attend a good many of those conferences in different countries. Uh, and in different uh, states um, for those affiliates. And some of the affiliates are single states, and some of the affiliates are multi-states like SACAC, the Southern Association, where I am. We have nine states in the Caribbean. So in my book, NACAC is incredibly important because it's an organization that brings together all these different um, people with different responsibilities and trying to understand what we need to do with and for each other to meet the needs of the many students that we serve. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an incredible organisation, and, and yeah, international affiliators are the one that I've I've been fortunate enough to have a role in, a, and I would say I owe my my career to actually. Um, and actually, it's interesting in the UK we don't have an equivalent, I and mean, we don't have an, even the association of college counselling, and very rarely will you have admissions officers and people advising on university entry 
together in the same space. You know, I, I thinking back yeah. now to a, a dinner you and I had, Nancy, I think when we were at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, and mm -hmm. it was you and I, um, a friend of ours who, who works for Dutch University and a friend from a British university, sort of sitting, sitting around having a bite to eat and, and sort of putting the world to rights. And I, I can't see that happening in any other forum than the, the no. sort of culture of NACAC and the affiliates where we sit down and we, we talk about issues and we make connections and, and we then hopefully go back to our, our schools or our colleges and do good work. And I, and I think informally you mentioned that uh, with international ACAC, um, you know, you don't have a separate one for Great Britain. Well, we don't have a separate one, or the UK, I should say, not just Great Britain. But we don't have a separate one for Georgia. Yeah. So what we've done is to form our own little, it's not um, another affiliate, but we formed our own Georgia initiatives. Okay. And each of the states in the um, in SAC Act, there are nine states in the Caribbean, as I said before, and each of the states has, it own, has its own initiative where we get together. Last year we went to uh, Georgia College and State University, and there were probably about 20 or 30 of us from all around Georgia so that we could talk about some of the different issues in different parts of the state. We have a lot of rural people in Georgia. But we also have Atlanta, which is a huge metropolitan area. And we also get together sometimes just in Atlanta with the counselors. So we form our own little um, initiatives or groups where we can discuss on smaller um, bases some of the issues we're seeing. And that, I think, can be helpful. But um, I, I'm glad that we have the one big organization that can bring us all together, and then we've got the affiliates and then underneath that, um, there are some what we call SIG groups in, a, in NACAC, some special interest groups. And so there's just a whole host of those. And they get together each year at NACAC, and then they do some work in between that. So it's a, it's a big organization, but I think overall it has been very effective, I hope, uh, through the years for many people. We're always looking for more public school counselors to get involved. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and I, I, mean, I should say I was singing the praise of International ACAC. In fact, um, I sent three emails today to, to people in the UK at, at schools just starting to do international advising saying you need to join International mm -hmm. ACAC. It is, it is going to open your eyes to this. So, um, I'm, well, I'm conscious. Sorry, go ahead, Nancy. I was just going to tell you that I, I have been fortunate enough to go to two um, of the International ACAC conferences and was just absolutely fascinated. Uh, first thing, you all do a reverse college fair where you have high schools and yeah. most of the high schools that were doing the fair are boarding schools mine is not but I still enjoyed doing that I was absolutely worn out so it made me understand how hard it is to be yep. on the college side and to stand there at all these fairs uh, I don't think many of us on the high school side realize how difficult that is anyway you did that also last year the last time I went they had the um uh, meeting or the membership meeting in the middle of the conference instead of um, at the beginning and there were so many more people there so there's a lot of opportunity within those conferences for us to get together and uh, bring up the important issues that face us I agree uh, so I do think it's it's wonderful yeah I was just saying I'm conscious of, of time we are talking on the 28th of March 2019 and we've we've picked probably one of the most stressful days to be a college counselor with decisions yeah. about to come out so I'm conscious you, you need to get off, off the phone and do some work um, so, so last question 
you know, if you're able to go and speak to, to yourself 27 years ago, you know, look, looking back and all everything you've learned as a college counsellor all that time, um, what tips would you would you give to someone entering the profession now? If someone is just stepping into this world of being a college counsellor, what what is the words of wisdom from Nancy Bean? Each of us is going to have our own way of working with our students and parents, but I think the most important thing is to make sure that those parents and students understand that you care deeply for them, that you are going to do your best to help them achieve the goals they have. And the goals they have may not be immediately uh, recognized. I, I have this cartoon I show to my students and parents where it says the, the path to success is straight, straight to the flag. And then it shows the reality. And the reality is that many of us are going to go through dips and, and sideways and all sorts of other ways to get to the ultimate goal. But I, I think what I would do is make sure that if I were entering this again, that I stay open to understanding all the different needs that my students have, that they stay open to new possibilities for different kinds of colleges than they had assumed before they got there, that they have no idea at this point who's going to be highly successful, whatever that means, in their lives 25 years from now. And so I think students really need to make sure they develop some goals but also some real grit uh, that they're going to continue on the path to whatever they want to do. So I think that's our job is to make sure that we work as hard as we can with our students, holding them accountable uh, to what responsibilities they have, but also helping them to continue to grow in whatever ways they need to. And that's been the biggest joy I think I've had and um, that I tried to do that from the very beginning and I've tried to continue to do that all through my career of making sure these families know how much I care for their students. And I, I found that when I do that, then whatever the decisions are, as hard as they can be to swallow sometimes, they will um, feel that I've given my best and hopefully when we've worked well together, it's turned out as well as it can. And most of the time it does turn out well. Yeah. And I think that's the positive. We've got to just stay positive about this and believe that we can achieve the goals with and for each other. Great. Nancy, that, that's fired me up for what the next 24 hours may bring. So it's it's really inspiring. And, and as ever, it's a pleasure to, to talk with you. I, I sincerely hope that in your retirement, you're able to come and spend a bit more time with those of us in the UK who are huge fans of yours. And um, we, we can have much well, much longer conversations um, about well, these kind of issues. Well, thank you. Actually, I'm coming to the UK this summer. Uh, we're leaving on a uh, trip on the 29th of May, so I'll definitely get in touch with you, and hopefully we can get together uh, while I'm there. And uh, so I'm not actually retiring until 2020, so I've told my seniors for next year I'm going to graduate with them, and um, then I will really – I hope start traveling but anyway so look for me in june Absolutely and um so. i'll i'll hope we can get together okay Fantastic. thank you nancy bean thank you so much for your time